Welcome to The Word for Today, featuring the Bible teaching of Pastor Chuck Smith, founder of the Calvary Chapel Movement. This radio program is a verse-by-verse study through the entire Bible. And on today's edition of The Word for Today, Pastor Chuck continues with the border of the Promised Land as we pick up in Numbers chapter 32, verse 1. And now, with today's message, here's Pastor Chuck. What in the world is wrong with you characters? I can't believe you. And so they rethought the thing and they said, well, I'll tell you what. We will arm our men for war and they will go over and they will fight. Let us build cities and all so our wives and children will be uh, safe here. And we will send our men over to fight the battles and we'll stay with you until the land has been conquered and then we'll come back and take our inheritance over here. And so the thing pleased Moses and he said, all right, that's okay for you to go ahead and come over and help us take the territory and after it is taken, then you can come back. But Moses declared unto them, but if you do not do this, Behold, you have sinned against the Lord, and be sure your sin will find you out. Now, the request is an interesting request. When you look at it from a spiritual standpoint, these people are content to take their inheritance outside of the land on the other side of Jordan. As we're looking at the whole movement of the children of Israel out of Egypt into the promised land, looking at it as typical history, which the Bible declares that it is, it all happened to them as examples for us. And Egypt typifies the old life of bondage in the world, the life in sin. Coming out of Egypt through the Red Sea typifies being born again and being baptized and entering in now to a new relationship with God, delivered from the bondage of sin, bondage of Egypt. Now they are coming towards the promised land. And their failure at Kadesh Barnea to enter into the land and the subsequent 40 years wandering in the wilderness is typical of those Christians who have indeed come out of the life of bondage in sin but have never entered into the fullness of the life in Christ. They are in an in-between state not yet entered into the fullness that they could know in Jesus Christ, the full promises, the full life and walk of the Spirit, but still problems with their flesh, battles with their flesh, wandering in the wilderness. And so many people have a Christian experience that is sort of a wilderness experience, a barren experience. Now the river Jordan typifies the death of the old life, the old man. The death of the life of the flesh. And coming into the promised land 
is typical of coming into the new life and the walk in the Spirit. Yes, we still have battles to fight, but we have a captain that has gone before us who is leading us and who strengthens us. And God has promised that every place we put our foot, that he said, I have given unto you for a possession. So the land is here in front of us. All we have to do is go in and claim it and possess it. The life of victory in Christ the life of joy and blessing, that life of the spiritual relationship with God. It's yours for the claiming. The victory over the old life, the flesh, yours for the claiming. Now, there were those who were content to remain on the other side of Jordan. Reuben and Gad, part of Manasseh, and they said, we'll dwell on this side. We're content to remain here. It is significant to note that they were the first tribes to go into captivity because they had not the protection, really, of the Jordan River, which was a natural barrier against the enemies. The first to go into captivity. So often many people failing to enter into that which God has promised to us, that life of abundance in the Spirit, their failure to enter in, content to just live on the other side of the cross, the death of the old nature, the old life, not willing to reckon the old man dead, are often the first to go into captivity. So an interesting spiritual parallel with the tribes of Reuben and Gad and Manasseh. Now the statement of Moses, all right, see that you do it. Now I'm not going to be here to see that you do it. The Lord's told me I'm not going to go into the land. So you see that you do this. And if you fail, you have sinned against the Lord and you can be sure your sin will find you out. My, what a powerful truth that is. You can be sure your sin will find you out. Jesus said, that which is done in secret shall be shouted from the housetop. The Bible says everything is open and naked before him with whom we have to do. There is really no secret sin. That's a delusion. You can be sure your sin will find you out. Whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. Come harvest time, and it's very obvious the kind of seeds that you've been sowing. You can be sure your sins will find you out. Thank God for Jesus Christ having removed our sins and transgressions as far as the east is from the west. And so they made the covenant with Moses that they would pass over and help them to take the land. Now in chapter 33, you have a summary of their exodus out of Egypt. Moses sort of wrote down 
all of the places where they had stopped as they made this journey from Egypt to the promised land. And um, for the most part, it's just a lot of names that you don't recognize. Some of them are new. Some of them are the first time we see them. Some of them we remember from our journey in the book of Exodus. Now in verse 51 of chapter 33, the Lord commanded Moses, Speak unto the children of Israel and say unto them, When you are passed over Jordan into the land of Canaan, then ye shall drive out all the inhabitants of the land from before you and destroy all their pictures and destroy all their molten images and quite pluck down their high places and ye shall dispossess the inhabitants of the land and dwell therein for I have given you the land to possess it. Now God wanted all of the artifacts destroyed because the pictures for the most part were extremely lewd, lascivious. The molten images for the most part were their gods that they worshiped, which were in many cases, grotesque and exaggerated sexual features. And the high places where they offered the sacrifices unto their gods and they went through their religious rites were ordered utterly destroyed lest there remain that polluting influence in the land. Because, again, whatever a man sows, that he's also going to reap. And if you are planting in your mind the images of sexual lasciviousness, then you're going to be reaping to your flesh. God wanted all of those things to be obliterated, to be wiped out. And so he ordered them to utterly destroy the pictures the molten images, and the places of worship, the high places that were in the land. And you're to divide the land by lots for the inheritance. In other words, dividing off the land and then casting lots to see which tribes would get which area. And then the tribes were to divide up the land and to divide it to the families. In other words, each family within the tribe was to be given its land grant. And so this is the dividing out of the land, giving a portion of the land to everybody, each family getting its own land grant, and this land was to then remain in those families perpetually. Now in verse 55, the Lord warns them, but if you will not drive out the inhabitants of the land from before you, then it shall come to pass that these which you let remain of them shall be pricks in your eyes and thorns in your sides and shall vex you in the land where you're dwelling. Moreover, it shall come to pass that I shall do unto you as I thought to do unto them. In other words, these people will drag you down. And ultimately, I will have to destroy you out of the land even as I destroyed them out of the land. Sin always has a polluting influence. 
When I was a kid, my mom used to always tell me about the one rotten apple in the barrel, how it can spoil the whole barrel, and how it is important to choose your friends and to select them because you get one who's, who's bad. His influence can be bad on the entire group. So God ordered them to drive out the people completely lest that they would vex them. Now, Israel failed to obey the Lord in this. A lot of times we think we know better than God. We think that we can handle it. We think that God really doesn't understand the case completely or he doesn't understand us completely. And yes, that rule might apply, you know, to others, but surely it doesn't apply to me. And we learn to our own dismay and shame the folly of disobedience. And we discover that God knew us better than we knew ourselves. And we realize how foolish it was for us to not to completely obey God. So as we move into chapter 34, we find the borders of the land described now. In the south, the border of the land was to go down into the Sinai as far as Kadesh Barnea, the place where they had come down around south of Beersheba, coming into the land, down into the desert. The Mediterranean was to be the border on the west side. On the north side, the mountains of Lebanon at about Acre or Akko, that mountain range of Lebanon that comes around was to be the border on up to Mount Hermon. You'll find in, if you want to read it carefully here, there is the mention of Ain, which means fountains, which no doubt is a reference to the headwater of the Jordan River at the base of Mount Hermon. So that whole upper, what they called the Hula Valley, was to be Israel's, bordered on the west side by the mountains of Lebanon, much the border that they have today with Lebanon was the border that was described here in the Bible. Now, the uppermost area in the upper Hula Valley near where the Jordan River begins, it's or coming out of the Mount Hermon there, was where the city of Dan was built. Dan occupied the northernmost part of the Hula Valley. And then coming on down around the Sea of Galilee, the tribe of Naphtali. And you can get a good Bible map and you can see how the tribes were apportioned in the land. But the boundaries of the land are given to us here in chapter 34. This is the land that God had promised to Abraham. And this is the land that now belonged to these people. It was theirs. God had given it to them. There was only one thing. They had to go in and take it. They had to go in and possess it. Even as God has given to you 
so many rich and precious promises, and all you have to do is step in and claim them. Just go in and take that which God has promised to you by faith. So the heads of the tribes are listed again in the latter portion of the chapter. As we get into chapter 35, it describes the cities of refuge that they were to establish. Verse 2, command the children of Israel that they give to the Levites of the inheritance of their possession cities to dwell in, and you shall give unto them also suburbs of the cities round about them. And the cities that they shall have to dwell in and the suburbs of them shall be for their cattle and their goods and for their beasts. So the city itself and then extending out from the city a thousand cubits for their farm area and then out another 2,000 cubits for their cattle. These were the suburbs of the city and 48 of these cities were to be given to the Levites. They were not to get any, any huge chunks of land nor were the families given portions of land. The Levites received no inheritance. God said, I am their inheritance. They got the best deal. The rest of the people got a property. The Levites got the Lord as their inheritance. And so they were given these 42 cities to live in and the suburbs around the city to graze their cattle and to grow their crops and so forth. 42 cities given to the Levites. Now, among the 42 cities, there were to be six cities that were appointed as cities of refuge. Three on either side of the Jordan River, placed strategically through the land so that no matter where you were living in the land, you were never more than a half day's run from the city of refuge. Now, the purpose of the city of refuge was to take care of a cultural practice that was deeply ingrained within the people. You know, one of the hardest things to become free of is tradition. There are certain cultural things that are so deeply embedded in our in our whole thinking processes that they are the hardest things in the world to root out. And I can give you one offensive illustration. Christmas is a pagan holiday. It has nothing to do with the birthday of Jesus Christ in its original forms. They celebrated Christmas long before Jesus ever came along. They called it by a different name. The Romans called it Saturnalia. But it is, you can trace its origin clear on back to Nimrod shortly after the time of Noah. The decking of trees, all of the customs are not Christian in origin at all. And yet to suggest that we abandon the celebration of this pagan holiday would bring great incense and censure from the church. 
You mean not going to celebrate Christmas? Because it's so deeply embedded in our whole traditional patterns. We hold on to it, though we recognize that it is becoming more paganized all the time. How many people really honor Jesus Christ on Christmas? If it, it was his birthday, it isn't, but if it was his birthday. How many are truly honoring Christ? As we look at the celebration, the police department have to put on extra duty. All of the reserves are called in. Why? Because there are going to be so many drunks on the road. People going home from the Christmas party. We've been celebrating Jesus is born. <laughs> and yet we find extreme difficulty in trying to divorce ourselves from it because it's so much a part of our culture. Tradition. We'll return with more of our verse-by-verse -verse Bible study in the book of Numbers on our next broadcast as Pastor Chuck continues to teach through the Bible. And we do hope you'll make plans to join us. But right now, if you'd like to order a copy of today's message, simply order Numbers 32 through 35 when visiting thewordfortoday.org. And while you're there, be sure to browse the many additional biblical resources by Pastor Chuck. You can also subscribe to the Word for Today podcast or sign up for our email subscription. Once again, that's thewordfortoday.org. For those of you wishing to call, our toll-free number is 1-800-272-WORD. And our office hours are Monday through Friday, 8 a.m. to 5 p.m. Pacific Time. Again, that's 1-800-272-9673. If you prefer to write, our mailing address is the Word for Today. P.O. Box 8000, Costa Mesa, California, 92628. And now, on behalf of the Word for Today, we'd like to thank all of you who share in supporting this ministry with your prayers and financial support. And be sure to join us again next time as Pastor Chuck continues his verse-by-verse -verse study through the Bible. That's right here on the next edition of The Word for Today. And now, once again, here's Pastor Chuck. May the Lord bless and guide your life. When those decisions have to be made, may the Lord give you a very strong impression and may you experience God's power working in your life in a very special way. May the love of Christ just fill your heart and overflow a testimony to others by the love of Christ that shines forth from you. This program has been sponsored by Calvary Chapel of Costa Mesa, California. It is my great pleasure to present Pastor Chuck's commentary on the book of Acts. The Acts of the Apostles is an open-ended book. Jesus continues even to the present day to work in the lives of people throughout the world through those who have been empowered by the Holy Spirit. This book also includes a special foreword written by Pastor John Corson. We studied the book of Acts, but we never saw the book of Acts. 
but we were seeing the moving of the Holy Spirit. Calvary Chapel family, may you always be known as a people who pray in Jesus' name, that it would be Jesus Christ, nothing more, nothing less, nothing else. May the Jesus movement continue on. To order a copy of Pastor Chuck's book, The Acts Commentary, please call the word for today at 1-800-272-9673 or visit us online to read a sneak preview of the book by visiting thewordfortoday.org.